chapter number 12. If you're able to, let's stand this evening for the reading of the Word of God and stretch our legs one last time uh, for this three-hour message. I'm, I'm just kidding. And uh, <laughs> so usually the shorter portions of Scripture are the longer messages. I don't know why that happens that way. But uh, if, you're, if you have your place or you, you have these verses in your uh, outline tonight that you received, or hopefully grab one, uh, let's read these two verses together, all right? Everybody got your eyes, whether in your Bible or on, on your uh, outline there. Romans chapter one, uh, 12, verses 1 and 2, all right? Here we go. Let's begin. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this evening. I pray that you'd help me now, Lord, to convey your message. Lord, I thank you for this tremendous passage, these two verses that lead into the remainder of the book of Romans. Lord, help us to see the practicality of these verses in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you know, I, I found in life that there are very intelligent people and then there are very practical people. Uh, how many of you would say that you are probably more of a practical person? A couple of us are. And uh, I know that I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, I know that. Uh, but I t I'll tell you this, I love the practicality of the Word of God. And tonight when we look at these couple verses, and of course we've looked at uh, the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, and we move to chapter 12 tonight, Paul, as he is writing here, being used of God to write these words, the words of God, Paul deals with the practical aspects of everyday living in this world. You know, it, I'll tell you, it, it becomes more of a challenge as the Lord tarries is coming to live in this world, does it not? Every day as Christians, just, just trying to live the Christian life. And if you're saved tonight, just like Brother Joe said, one of the promises we have is that we have heaven waiting for us someday. That's, that's a wonderful promise, uh, something to look forward to. But we will live for all of eternity in the presence of God. And, and think about that. That's our future. Now, that could be tomorrow. could be tonight. But think about this. Until that happens for the right now, the now and now, what does the Bible say? We're pilgrims. We're strangers in this land that we live in, right? This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. So when I think about this practicality, I don't know about you, but I need from God's Word some practical help so that I know how to live day by day, how I must walk with God on a daily basis. These two verses that we read tonight together, they're interesting verses and they're very important because they give us insight into areas in our walk with God that we must never overlook. Just three simple aspects tonight that teach us the secret of holy living. It's very important we understand that once we got saved, according to the Word of God, 
We are saints of God. We are hagios. We are to be holy ones. Why? Because we are his children and he is a holy God. Can I get an amen? amen. So think about this. God wants us to live a life that is holy. Now again, we are his children. We are children of our Father. And so Paul here, with that thought in mind, he begins to tell us that holy living revolves around some very important things. As a matter of fact, in these two verses, we find three powerful concerns in this area of our holy living. Notice, first of all, our holy living revolves around the worship of God. Now, worshiping God is a concept that as the days go by, it becomes something that becomes more and more to the world a distorted thing. When we think of worship, what we want to do is come to the Word of God and see what the Bible has to say. We'll look at verse number one. Look at what it says again. I beseech you, therefore, what's that next word? So who's this talking to? Save people, right? So the Bible says, I beseech you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, dear Christian, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, what kind of sacrifice? A living, that's almost like an oxymoron. We'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute. But he says here, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your what kind of service? Reasonable. Not just reasonable. That word reasonable, we get our same English word because it's the Greek word logikos. That's where we get our word logic from. In other words, what God is saying here is that yielding, listen to me, yielding our bodies, it's just logical that we yield our bodies to God. That's what a Christian does. Are you with me tonight? It's not illogical. Now, a lot of times we yield our bodies to various things in this world. I'm not against you tonight if you have one, but man, I look at some of these people that just pierce and tattoo their bodies and do all kinds of crazy things. And what always gets me is they do all that, and then when you're out in public and you see them and you're just like staring at them and they look at you like, what are you looking at? And I'm like, well, nothing. I mean, seriously, you're the one parading it. But this is in the Christian realm. This is God telling Christians that it is logical for us to yield our bodies. And then look at this. He says, it is your reasonable service. Now, the word service means to perform sacred service, serving God, doing things for God with our bodies. In other words, it's connected with the idea of worship. See, think about that, your reasonable service. It's connected to this matter of worship. When we are totally yielded to him, and by the way, many people are not that way, but when we are totally yielded to God, it is the highest form of worship that we can render to God when we're totally yielded to Him. Nothing says to the Lord, I love you more than when we live a consecrated, dedicated life, a holy life that God is pleased with. Notice what the Bible says in John 14, two verses. 
Jesus said these words when he was on this earth. If ye love me, keep my commandments. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. So you know what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, you want to prove that you love me? Then keep my commandments. Do what I ask you to do. Look, that's our reasonable service, all right? Is this hitting home tonight? A lot of times we want to pick and choose what we want to do and what we ought not to do, but yet God says here, I want you to understand that worshiping me is part of your service. He says, I want you to show me how much you love me, and the way to do that is to keep my commandments. He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Well, so Paul is writing here, and Paul says these words that we are to yield our bodies. What does Paul mean by this matter of yielding our bodies? Well, notice, first of all, the challenge that he gives here, because we're called upon to present our bodies. Now, you're looking at a poor specimen, but you're looking at me tonight. What are you looking at? You're looking at my body. This is a reference to the flesh. The suit, not this one, but the one that God gave me when I was born. The birthday suit that God gives to everyone. You're wearing that, and that, that is what we're talking about here. That you present your bodies. God is calling on us to present us to Him. All we have, all that we are, all that we ever will be, to present ourselves to Him for his glory and for his use. Now, we don't think of ourselves that way. We don't think of our bodies that way. But listen, we're going to understand that this matter of our bodies, if you are saved tonight, you are his. You see, God saved you. And he says, I want you to present. The word present means, look at it, to place at one's disposal. Here's what it really means. And I sat there and really thought about this. It means to no longer hold back anything from God. That we have placed our all on his altar and we are at his disposal. That's what it means to present. It's the idea of total surrender to God. Waving the white flag to God. I'm yours to do whatever you want me to do. And we should not present our bodies to God and then take them back and use them for ourselves again. We ought to present the, the meaning here, the, the actual tense of this verb is that we present our bodies to God, watch this, and our bodies are God's forever. We don't take it back. Well, I, I don't really uh, want to do that anymore, God, so I, I want my body back. I want my life back. No, no, no. The Bible tells us here, and that's the challenge, that we present our bodies, and when we give it to Him, it is His forever. That's the challenge. That's, that's hard for a lot of people. Because what happens is, we either don't want to present ourselves to God, or we present ourselves to God, and again, we want to pull it back. So that's the challenge. But look at the cause that he says here. The, the very cause in verse number 1 he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, watch this, therefore, by the mercies of God. You know, you and I, how many of you are saved tonight? 
You know, we're, we're, we've been redeemed by the grace of God. Aren't you glad for God's grace? The redemption that we have is made possible because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Jesus did when he died at Calvary gives us the understanding from the word of God that God bought us. The word redeem means to buy back. And so when Jesus died for us, God bought us at Calvary. And once God bought us, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, Jesus Christ has purchased the church with his own blood. Remember, the church is not a building. The church is the people of God. The brethren that it's talking about in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. So the Bible tells us here that we are His. We belong to Him. And watch this. And we are His. And He has the right to control every aspect of our lives. Now again, you know what that means? you got to surrender totally. You mean I need to let God control every aspect of my life? Well, the Bible says you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It doesn't say it's yours. It says they are God's. The Bible says you are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. We are supposed, listen, a Christian is supposed to be subject to God's commands. Remember what Jesus said, if you love me, then keep my commandments. Do what I ask you to do. Never forget that when God saved you, where were you heading when God saved you? You were heading to a Christless eternity, a place called hell. But God loved you and God sent his son who died for you to save you from your sins. And when I think about all that, it seems to me that we owe God, watch this, everything. Because it's all his. I mean, the reality of this verse, and Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. By the grace of God, he says, I am what I am. Because, I listen, I know what I was before God saved me. And all that I am today and all that you are today is because of the grace of God. See, there's a challenge that is given here. When you talk about worshiping God, presenting our bodies, there's a challenge. The cause is by the mercies of God. But notice thirdly, the consecration in this very same verse. He says again that we are to present our bodies by the mercies of God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's interesting. I mean, you go back and study the Old Testament and you find and most of you know this, that sacrifices were animals that belonged to people. Many times they would keep these sacrifices, these animals, in their house, and, and they would become a part of the family. They would basically nurture them and care for them, and, and from the time that they were maybe a little calf or maybe a little lamb or something, they would, they would, they would keep that kid in their house with their kids, you know, and and they would take care of it, and all the while realizing that one day they were going to offer that animal as a sacrifice to God. And as you think about this uh, passage here, that's exactly what it's talking about, is how those sacrificial animals were being put to death, that that blood was shed, and then that sacrifice was burned on the altar in the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, the sacrifices were to die. 
But what's interesting, when you get to Romans chapter 12, and Paul's giving us from the Holy Spirit of God the practicality of the Christian life, notice that it is not that our sacrifice is to die, our sacrifice is to live. The Bible says a living sacrifice. You see, the sacrifice that the Lord is commanding each of us to make, I think it all is contained in that word, sacrifice. Have you ever sacrificed for something? You know, when our children were young, my wife and I many times, we sacrificed, we gave up some things, we, we gave uh, some time, and we, we made sacrifices. Look, we don't regret any of those, but when you think about sacrifices, sacrifices are costly. Sacrifices can be painful. Think about those children that had those animals, those sacrificial animals, and then had to see those animals be offered up. Sacrifices. They can be personal. They can be difficult. But watch this. They're necessary. Sacrifices. Why? Because it's a living sacrifice unto God. What is God saying here when he says, I want you to offer up your, your bodies a living sacrifice? He's commanding every one of his people that they would lay down the totality of their person on the altar of sacrifice. But here's the thing is, as we lay our person, as we yield our bodies, we present our bodies at the same time that we are presenting our bodies this sacrifice must continue to function in this world around us. God doesn't say, hey, look, now that you're saved, now that you've presented yourself to me, it's done. No, no, no. God has saved us and he's left us here for a reason. God says that I want you, that's why he says a living sacrifice, something that lives on. The sacrifice body sees itself as the temple of God. The Bible tells us that that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You see, the Holy Spirit of God took up residence in your life when you got saved. All, all of our rights were released. The body has been delivered to God. We have presented it to God. And what we're saying is that we want God. That's the consecration. When they gave that sacrificial animal, look here, they didn't put it on the altar and then pull it back off. They gave it to God to do, for God to do what he pleased with it. The same ought to be true about us. Here's my life, Lord. I don't know if you're like me, but many times I think to myself, God, you're not getting much. But this is all I have. And I freely give it to you. I don't know if you're there in your life, but the Bible is instructing us. If we're going to worship God, the, the cause is the mercies of God. The consecration is to present our bodies a living sacrifice. But then notice Paul gives us the conditions that will bring this about. See, God, through Paul, gives two conditions that this sacrifice must meet. Okay, The first one of those conditions is the word holy. Notice again, he says in chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice Holy means something consecrated, something set apart. You know what I'm afraid of in this day that we live in is the church is looking more and more like the world. 
I'm not just talking about dress. I'm talking about music. I'm talking about uh, the way that services are conducted, the way the church looks. I mean, they've become productions. Folks, the Bible tells us that we are to be a peculiar people. That means that there should be something distinctly different between God's people and unsaved people. That doesn't mean we're better than them because we're just saved by the grace of God. But if we start looking like and acting like and sounding like the world, there will be no difference. People will not see. We're not being the salt and light that God wants us to be. And it's important that we see this here. A life totally sold out, a life that is totally separated unto God and sacrificed to God, that kind of life will demonstrate the power of God like nothing else. So God says one of the conditions for this sacrifice is it must be holy. Remember how the Bible describes Jesus? A lamb without spot or blemish. Think about this. What does the Bible say about how Jesus wants to find his bride? He doesn't want to find his bride soiled. He doesn't want to find his bride in the bed with somebody else. He wants to find a pure bride. And so the Bible says that one of the conditions when you think about worshiping God is that we would be a holy people. But notice right after the word holy in verse 1, the next word is the word acceptable. Acceptable unto God. This means well-pleasing. Is your life right now satisfying God? That's what the word deals with here. God is pleased when a life is sacrificed on the altar of service for His glory. You know what that life does? It honors God. We're either, look, it's, it's, this is the way it is. You're either pleasing God right now with the way that you're presenting your body, the way that you're living your life. You're either pleasing God or you're hurting Him by the way you're using your body. It's one or the other. You, you cannot straddle the fence. And if you want to please the Lord, then our bodies must be placed on the altar. We must present our bodies without reservation, without hesitation. Say, Lord, here I am. I place myself at your disposal. Now look again at verse number one. I want you to see two words here. He says, go back to the beginning of the verse, I beseech you, therefore, and we already pointed this word out, brethren. Now watch this. Then he says, by the mercies of God that, notice, that ye, that little personal pronoun there. Both of them are plural. If you study this out, here's what you find is, is that this command, which by the way, that's what it is. How many of you understand what a command is? We don't have a choice. He's our commander-in-chief. Everything he says, we should do. And the Bible tells us here that he uses the word brethren and the word ye. Now the reason that he used these two words is because he is telling every member of his family, the family of God, that, that every one of us should present our bodies a living sacrifice. No one is exempt. Not a single saved person has the right to deny God what he is asking us, what he is commanding us to do. 
So when you think about this matter of worshiping God, it's important that we see the challenge and how we are to live a consecrated life. So we see the worship of God is one thing that is the secret of holy living, that holy living revolves around the worship of God. But secondly, holy living revolves around the wisdom of God. Now, I love this because when we go to verse number two, the Bible says, and be not, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. mind. Now, did you just catch? Watch this. In verse one, he was talking about what part of us? Our body. But in verse two, in the first part of it, he moves to something else. What is it? The mind. Now, I, I know this, that the mind is very powerful. The mind is something where many people struggle in their lives. And guess what? If I know that, the devil knows that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know, there's, there's, there's all types of things, spiritual warfare going on, and Paul here, he moves from dealing with the body to dealing with the mind. And when we can, watch this, when we can make the mind to think as it should, when you get your mind where it ought to be, as many times they say about people in the world, why is your mind in the gutter? A Christian's mind shouldn't be in the gutter. But watch this, when our mind is right with God, watch this. The body's going to follow. I tell people sometimes, I, I joke about it sometimes, but I'll say something like this, and some of you men, you like to have fun with this too, but I'll say, you know, I'm the head of my home. Now, that's scripture. But then I move beyond the scripture, and I'll say, but my wife's the neck. Because the neck controls the head, Right? But when you look at this here, what is Paul saying? He's saying, look, we have to make sure that our mind is right. When we come to mind, there are two steps that Paul gives in verse 2, two steps that must be taken. The first one is to shun the mold. Shun the mold. Get rid of the mold. You've got to shun some things. Listen, Peter, or this morning we were talking about Joseph. Joseph fled. He got out. See, all the times, we just, we just hang around like Peter hanging around the fire, warming his hands. But the Bible tells us that we need to shun the mold. We are commanded. Look at what it says. Here's the shunning. Be not conformed to this world. God says, I don't want you to do it. I saved you. I redeemed you by my son's blood. Why in the world would I want you to go back into this world? Why would I want you to be conformed to this world? So the shunning is, don't be conformed. To conform means to fashion or to shape. It's the same word as the word mold. People shop all the time, and they buy brands. Can I tell you that if you buy brands, you're going to pay extra? Because you're paying for that brand, paying for that logo. God says, look, don't be conformed. Don't allow this world to squeeze you into its mold. It's okay to be different. When you live for God, guess what? You will be different. 
uh, years ago, and I don't, hopefully she doesn't mind me saying this, but I had a friend, and, and uh, he, he kind of liked my wife before I did, and, and, uh, and, and they didn't really date. I guess they saw each other at work or whatever. And one day I was talking to him, and, and he says, uh, he, I said, how's it going? I was curious because I liked her. But he had already said he liked her, so I couldn't like her, you know, unless I out-wrestled him or something, you know. And so I said to Jim one day, I said, I said, hey, how's it going with that girl named Joy? And he says, oh, man. He says, she, she's kind of strange. <laughs> and I said, uh, strange? I said, I said, how so? And, and he says, man, he said, I, I met her parents. And I said, how were they? And he says, man, they were strange. And I said, okay, well, well, tell me something besides strange. What is strange? And he said, man, I went over to their house. He said, they pray before they eat. He said, they dress a certain way. And I, and listen, I was unsaved, and I remember thinking this. What's so strange about that? You're strange is what I thought. You know, when I look at this, it, it's, I see this, how that oftentimes our mind is not it, it, we want to conform, we want to we be like this world. Don't allow the world to make you like it is. Don't try to be like the world. The world is, have you noticed as a Christian, if you've been saved for any length of time, the world is diametrically opposed to God. The world wants nothing to do with God. And so we must, as Christians, look at the word I borrow from verse 1, brethren, we must be different and we must remain different. So what do we need to do? We need to shun the mold. But secondly, we need to shape the mind. Shun the mold, shape the mind. So look, he, first of all, to shun the mold, he says, be not conformed to this world. But then to shape the mind, the Bible says, but be ye transformed. Well, how does that happen? By the renewing of your mind. Now, you know, I, I met a guy years ago. And, uh, and I forgot he had this little cute slogan. I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but the guy was a, he was a huge drug addict. I mean, he lived his life. I don't know how many drugs he did. And I always, I've always heard that people that do drugs, that their mind's gone, their mind's wasted. And this guy was saved. And you know, you know who I thought about was? I thought about the maniac of Gadara in the Bible. Where the Bible says no man could tame him. They said he was in the tombs. He was cutting himself. They tried to chain him, and he broke the chains. No one could do anything with him until Jesus came. And the Bible says that when they found the man, do you remember? He was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. This guy that had this ministry, he had been a drug addict for I don't know how many years, most of his life. He was sharing how much scripture he had memorized. He was just spouting off verse after verse, and I thought, that's amazing. You know why? Because God can renew a mind that used to be on drugs. God can help us. 
You might be like me. You might think, well, I can't memorize stuff. I mean, when we started the Wednesday night discipleship, a bunch of you were like, Pastor, I don't know if I can memorize scripture. And I was sharing with a few people some of the things that I did. And I told them, I said, hey, look, if somebody like me can get through Bible college and memorize all those verses, then you certainly can get through this discipleship program and you can memorize scripture. I mean, after all, everybody can, can memorize Jesus wept, right? God so loved the world, right? You know why you know those verses? Because you've heard them again and again and again. Repetition's the key to learning. And so as we think about this shaping of the mind, the word transform, it's, it's where the, we get our English word, the word is metamorphosis. You know the, the old analogy about the caterpillar? It becomes what? Butterfly. butterfly. You ever hear the story where a little kid one day, he saw... The, the metamorphosis starting to take place, and he saw the caterpillar struggling. And so, he, I don't know how he did it, but somehow he was trying his best to try to help this butterfly to come out and, and to be a beautiful butterfly. And when the butterfly finally came out, the butterfly couldn't fly. Because through that process, the butterfly then can fly. The boy short-circuited that process. You see, that work that God shows us through something like the, the caterpillar and the butterfly, that's exactly what God wants to do in your life and mine. God wants to transform us by his power. God wants to shape our minds, and God wants to, to change each one of us as his children. He, he wants to change the mind, transform the mind, so that the flesh might be changed. See, when, when the mind is right, the, the body will follow. You see, the flesh won't desire the things that it used to desire. The flesh will only do what the mind tells it to do. It is only when the mind is changed and brought under the power of God that the flesh can be brought under control. And listen, can I tell you that this is accomplished only one way, and that is the surrendering to the will of God. By filling your mind... And filling your heart with God's word. That's why it's important to understand that uh, God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And, and God's word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We need to see that by ordering our lives after the teachings and after the commands of God will help us to be transformed. Our minds to be transformed. Watch this. When our minds are transformed into the image of God, we're thinking like God, then our bodies will follow. But by cutting ourselves off from the influence of the world and by allowing the Spirit of God to control our minds. Now, in your notes, I've given you, and this is not new with me, but I was, years ago I came across, there are three types of people in the church. And, I, and when you think about these people, and these are basic uh, thoughts here, but these folks, these people, these three groups, they are distinguished by the way their minds operate. So notice the first group of people that is mentioned there are sensual people. These are people that are basically ruled by the physical world around them. Uh, there are, in the New Testament, there are two Greek words used for love. There's a, another Greek word that was not used, uh, that's a word for love that you don't find in the Bible, and that's the word eros, because eros is a 
fleshly, sensual type of love. There are people that are driven by the flesh. Uh, listen, you think about the word carnal. You know, there are even Christians today that are carnal Christians. That's why we ended up with the letter that we call the book of 1 Corinthians in our Bible, because these were saved people that even though they were saved, they were still allowing the flesh to drive their lives, to, 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 to dictate and to give in to those uh, fleshly desires. And so a sensual person is one ruled by the physical world around them. The second group of people in the church are what they, they refer to as soulish people. These are people that are ruled by their intellect, they're ruled by their will, and by their emotions. Now, that can be good or bad, because all of those faculties God gives to us. But see, the one that we need to aspire to be like is that third group of people, the spiritual people, because these are the folks that find themselves not being ruled by, but under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is success, but be ye filled with the Spirit of God. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit have His way. Let Him lead in your life. And only the only way the mind is going to be renewed is by the transforming of it. And the only way that the mind is going to be transformed is by the Word of God. We need God's Word. So what the Lord is attempting to do, and don't miss this, when He's talking here about don't be conformed, shun that mold. Don't, don't try, look, you're a Christian. You've been bought with a price. Don't try to be like the world you're living in. He says, let me shape your mind. Well, how does that happen? By the transforming. And so as, as I look at this, what is God attempting to do in our lives? Here it is. He's trying to get us to think like he does. You ever find yourself doing that? You know, to borrow from something years ago, what would Jesus do? What would God think about this? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But a verse that really hits this is Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which was where? Also in Christ Jesus. God says, look, I want you to have the same mind, the same thought that my son did. Now, there's, there's one. That's a little bitty verse. You study the life of Christ in the Bible, and you watch what he thought. Remember when Jesus, a group of people, brought a woman taken in the act of adultery? They brought this woman and cast her down before Jesus. They began to ask Jesus, and it wasn't about the woman, it was about Jesus. They were trying to trap him. Remember what they were holding? Stones. They were going to stone her. Jesus said, he that is among you that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. See, Jesus thought, she's a soul that I'm going to give my life for. Jesus thought about that woman. Watch this. I love her. I'll take it a step further. All those individuals standing there condemning that woman with a rock in their hands? Jesus was thinking, I love them too. God says, I want this mind, that mind, to be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, when I think about holy living, the secret of holy living, 
it revolves around the worship of God. It revolves around the wisdom of God. God says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. But there's a third concern that Paul shares, and that is holy living revolves around the will of God. Now, the will of God many times is tossed around, misunderstood. A lot of young people are always asking, what is God's will for my life? Do you know that no one else can tell you what God's will is for you? Now, there are givens in the Bible, God's will is for you to be saved. God's will is for you to, to live for Him, to be a witness. That's all God's will. But when you think about what he's talking about here, look at verse 2 again. He begins it by saying, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may, what's that word? Prove. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So when I look at this matter of the will of God, see the secret to a holy life. We've already looked at it revolves around worshiping God. Well, how do we do that? By the sacrificing of our bodies. And it, we also do that through the developing of our minds. But look, as we worship God by sacrificing our bodies, by renewing our minds, then what's going to happen is that will enable us to carry out God's will for our lives in a way that honors God. See, I want to honor God with my life. I want to do God's will. Can I tell you tonight that right here where I stand, I'm in God's will. I hope you're in God's will, wherever you're at in your life. It's important that we see this tonight as we yield our bodies and we yield our minds to him, then what's going to happen is as he has our body and as he has our mind, then, then watch this, we will be pleased to do whatever it is he asks us to do. We call that the will of God. And God's will will become more clear to us and it will become more important to us. Notice he gives a description of God's will. And as he does in these last part of this chapter, two, uh, chapter 12, verse 2, notice he gives uh, in this description three adjectives that describe the will of God. The first one is, he talks about how the will of God is precious. He uses the word good. The word there means it's useful. It benefits us. You know the verse, Romans 8, 28, right? The Bible says we know that all things work together for what? For good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Uh, Genesis, and we're, we're going to get there eventually on Sunday mornings, but notice Joseph's word here to his brothers. He says, and as for you, he says, ye thought it evil against me, but God meant it for what? Good. He says, look, all of this, everything I've been through, it was all for good in my life, that God would get the glory out of it. Look, can I tell you tonight, don't be afraid of God's will for your life. You know why? Because God's will is pleasant. God's will is good. Understand, God's will is something that you should desire for your life. And so one of the, the adjectives that he uses about God's will is he talks about how God's will is good. It's precious. Notice also he uses another word, and this word describes that it is not only precious, but it's pleasant. 
because he uses the word acceptable. Again, that word means it's well-pleasing. It's fully agreeable. Uh, through experiences of life, and many of us have been through, as we get older, may, maybe been through more things than others have in this auditorium tonight, but as we go through experiences of life, what does God do through those experiences? God grows us, God matures us, so that when God does call us to do His will, understand that as He reveals His will to us, then by going through those experiences like that, that caterpillar and that butterfly, that just like that butterfly now, we will be the same way. We will be equipped to do what God wants us to do, what He calls us to do, and we will be ready for whatever that is, and we refer to that as the will of God. I remember when God called me to preach. I was 30 years old, and I was a construction worker, and when God started dealing with me, I thought, God's got a sense of humor. Because God called me to preach on April Fool's Day. I thought it was a big joke. But I couldn't get away from it. And, and watch this, and maybe you can be this way in your life, but as I began to look back, and I began to see all that God brought me through, all the experiences of life, I look back and how God took me from a construction job where I never talked to hardly anybody all day long. And he took me from that, that construction job and he put me into a sales job where all day long, all I dealt with was people and problems. Kind of sounds like the ministry. Jesus dealt with his 12, didn't he? Every day it was something with the 12. But you know, look at, look at, and I, I don't say that in a bad way. As a matter of fact, I, I say it in a good way. Without people, there wouldn't be a ministry. We all have problems. But see, I look back at those experiences that God led me through. You know what God was doing? God was preparing me. I offered him my body. I said, Lord, help me to renew my mind so that I can be prepared and watch this, when God had my body and God had my mind, then when God called me to do his will, I was ready and I was prepared. And that's what we see here. How pleasant it is, the will of God. It's through these experiences that when God reveals his will, it's because God knows that we are ready and God shows us that it is time, as we just sang in that song, for us to march forward. To say, okay, God, what is it? What would you have me to do? And when we move forward for God, we do it without question and without hesitation. <laughs> I went to Bible college and I told the administration, the, the uh, uh, person that does uh, uh, signs you up for classes, I said, uh, I said, look, I'll just be happy if I can finish in five years. <laughs> and they said, well, listen, let's just start you off with a light load. And so they gave me a couple less credits per that first semester, and I started into it, and God started blessing, and it was amazing what God started to do while I was there. I was excited about it. You know why? Because God had prepared me. It was acceptable, and the Bible says that God's will is precious, it's good, it's pleasant, it's acceptable. But look at this third adjective. He says not only do we see that we need to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect. Now the word here, perfect, means complete. 
finished, matured. Can I tell you, watch this, none of us are perfect. You know why? Because none of us are complete. Paul said of himself, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived on this earth, I have not yet apprehended. If Paul could say that, I'm way behind the line where Paul was. So none of us are ever going to be there. But watch this, when he uses the word perfect, it's not in reference to us. It's in reference to his will. He says, I want you to prove the perfect will of God. So when I think about the will of God, it is complete. It is finished. It is matured. Nothing that you and I can do, we cannot add to God's plan. We cannot improve it because it's God's plan. Listen, if I would have made my own plan, I wouldn't be here today. I'd be in Hawaii doing ministry. You know, I would be somewhere different. I just know this much. If I was, if I was still married to Mrs. Keeley, I wouldn't be any place cold. Or I probably wouldn't be married, you know. That's, that's one of the reasons why we're here in Florida, because my wife's a strong prayer. <laughs> but see, listen, God sees the end of the matter, and he sees it before the matter even begins. God knows the path that we're going to take, like Job said, and he knows the obstacles. God knows the valleys that we're going to pass through as we go through this will that he has for our lives. God watches, and I've seen this in my own life. God knows where the provisions are that he has already placed along the way. God has prepared something for us. His plan cannot be improved on. It must be followed. And if we follow the will of God, there will be victory in our lives and there will be blessings from God. See, we can do no better than to be right in the center of God's perfect will for our lives. And I see here that God gives a description. He says, my will is good, it's acceptable, it's perfect. But then not only does he give the description of his will, but he, he gives a demonstration of it because he says here, as you look back in the word of God, he says, well, how do we do that? That you prove, don't miss that word prove. That's how you demonstrate by yielding our bodies and our minds to God, we will be able to prove. The word prove means to live out. Remember I told you that this portion of the book of Romans, it's practical in its application. God says, I want you to live out the Christian life before this world that is looking at you, that is studying you, that wants to see what a Christian ought to do, how a Christian ought to behave, what a Christian thinks like, and when the world sees us, you and me, living lives that, that are not perfect, but, but are trying to live for the Lord, spiritual lives, then they will know, hey, listen, God has done a work in that person's life. There's been a transforming of their mind by the power of the gospel. We will be proof positive to a doubting world that God can take the worst and he can make the best out of it. See, the secret to living a holy life, it boils down to God having control. Control of what? Our minds, to having control of our bodies, to having control of our wills. I don't know where you stand, but does that describe the life that you're living tonight? Does God have control of your body? Does God have control over your mind? Does he have control over your will? See, God wants to be in absolute control. 
The Bible says, and notice the verse there, Leviticus 20, verse 7. Sanctify yourselves, therefore. Listen to this. And be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. You go over into the New Testament, and the Bible says over in 1 Peter 1, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. The verse before that, listen to this, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. The word there, conversation, deals with our lifestyle, how we live, how we conduct ourselves from day to day as Christians. See, that's the secret to holy living. Holy living revolves around the worship of God. Holy living revolves around the wisdom of God. And holy living revolves around the will of God. A verse came to my mind as I was thinking about this. I went back here to Romans chapter 12. And I love these two verses. I beseech you, therefore. See, after we've looked at all this tonight, that word beseeched has a stronger meaning to me. He says, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable. It's just reasonable. I hope that you understand what God expects out of you as his child, and that is to live a holy life. Let's bow our heads tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I think sometimes we talk about holiness and we don't understand the biblical concept of living a holy life. And we've seen a great example of it tonight in just two verses in Romans chapter 12. God says, I've bought you. I asked earlier how many of you are saved and many hands went up. See, we're not our own, we are God. How wrong it is to do what we want to do with our body when it doesn't belong to us. And when you present it to God, you give it to Him and it's His forever. Present your body. And then God says, I not only want your body, I want your mind. I want you to have the same mind that my son had when he came from heaven to this earth and gave himself for you. And then God says, if I have your body and I have your mind, then you'll see what my will is for you because it's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. And he says, I want you to prove it, live it out. Day by day, I want you to live a holy life. These two verses will not only change your life, they'll change your home. And they'll change your job, and they'll change this world that you live in. Lord, thank you for this evening, for the truth, as we have a time of invitation on this Sunday evening. Lord, as we get ready to go into another week of work, dealing with things, God, what this world needs to see and hear is Christians that have totally surrendered to you. 
their body, their mind, and their will. Lord, tonight, may we just take a few moments, whether it's to come to this altar or stay in our seats, to consecrate ourselves a living sacrifice that is wholly acceptable unto you. Bless this invitation tonight in Jesus' name.